With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Slammed, a Celtics podcast covering the Celtics and the NBA at large. I'm Megan Adelini from WEEI, joined by Esteban Bustillos from GBH and Justin Turpin, also of WEEI. And guys, we are starting off our big topic of the week, talking about ugly games. Celtics have had a couple of ugly wins. And if you're a Boston fan, If you're a longtime Boston sports fan, I think you want to love the ugly wins. So they beat the Pacers 129-124 on Tuesday night. They beat the Pelicans uh, 118-112. But are you coming off of these victories feeling more confident about the Celtics being able to find different ways to win as Joe Mazzulla has been trying to position it? Or are we calling this the closest thing that this team is going to get to a slump? I mean, it's a good slump to have if you're winning. Uh, I, I guess the Pacers game was really weird, right? Because they score 81 in the first half, uh, which was it tied their franchise record, uh, if I'm correct. Too shy. Yes. Right. Oh. Too shy. Too shy. Too shy. Of, 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 it, the, yeah. of, of the franchise record uh, for points scored in a half. And then they almost blow the game. Um, I mean, a win is a win. And I I, I do like the, the sort of mantra that Missoula has had, though, of like, you you can't expect things to go right all the time. Uh, I, 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 I do, I guess with that game, I was sort of expecting it to be more of, of a strong win, of a blowout. But, you know, I guess you, you, you take what you can get in the NBA on a night-to-night basis, really. Yeah, and you mentioned Missoula's comments. Let's just jump right into that because we have what I thought was kind of a strong word that he threw out there, apropos of nothing. So he just comes up with this word that I think he would love to back away from if he was being honest. Let's hear him uh, talking about how the Celtics have been, I guess, their mindset in some of these games. 
So he was then pressed by the reporter in the follow-up question saying, is the entitlement, as he said, coming from inside the team or is that an outside narrative? And uh, Joe quickly jumped on that and goes, yeah, yeah, that's an outside narrative. That's coming from the outside. Kind of like we can't believe the press about us. But I think he showed his hand a little bit there that he knows at times this iteration of the Celtics with the Jays has been accused of being a front-running team and has acted like a front-running team and knows that they have a target on the back and they can either use that to fuel themselves or they can go into these games with definitely lesser opponents when you're looking at the Pelicans, challenging but lesser opponents when you're looking at the Pacers and saying, well, these are scheduled wins, so we already have these circled. These aren't the Minnesotas or even the Golden States or the Clippers right. or anybody like that, people that we really, really need to you know, show up for. What did right. you guys make of those comments? I it is you're right. I mean, he nobody pressed him to say entitlement. He did sort of uh, say that himself. So I do wonder if, or if that is part of something that they're trying to avoid is that sense of oh, we're the Celtics, we should win these games. I mean, Justin, you were at I guess the Pacers game. What what was that sort of feeling that that you got when the Pacers were trying to coming coming back there in the second half? Was the was was there a sense I guess that that the team was maybe starting to panic isn't the right word but that they were that they're like oh this this could slip slip out of their hands honestly my first thought was like here we go again because the third quarters have been an issue all season long but this was more of a whole second half problem but I think like you said like this is an issue that Joe actually wants them to deal with because he doesn't want them to get complacent I think when you're this talented it's easy to get complacent like oh you're supposed to win these games like like you said, it's scheduled wins, but I think he's done a great job of kind of avoiding that. But my first thought was, here we go again, because it was the third quarter again. They start with the big run, and then it was one to 20-point lead, and then it's gone. So just those third quarters, once again, was my first thought. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely something that we've been hitting on. Sorry, really quick, Esteban. Um, I, I don't – what did you guys make of, and we don't need the sound, but him saying that he wants them to blow leads? Like, okay, go ahead, blow the lead so that I can see how you come back. Like, is it's there is there actually is there actually value to that in January? Jalen came to the podium after on the next day and was like, I don't know about that one. He was kind of shot back against it, which was kind of funny. Yeah. Uh I I guess like adversity can build, you know, if, if your your team if you want to sort of go cliche, but I'm sure like they don't want to be playing close games like right like they don't want to have this historic first half and and then have it be an actual game and and you know if, if you if you have 81 points i think sort of the expectation in the back of your mind is like oh jason tatum jalen brown porzingis are probably not gonna be playing towards the end of the fourth quarter but they had to because you know they it was it was a game and mind you indiana is not what i would say is, is a scheduled win a, a good team and you know we all been talking about uh Tyrese Halliburton this whole season what he's done um okay but it, but is it is it different when he's on a minutes restriction that's true right right and, and you know and, and you're right like he, he wasn't playing that whole game still uh just just the fact that they if, if I if I were a player I would be like yeah look adversity is good but we, you you want to win those games and just be done outright I I and I think this this sort of gets to a larger issue with what Terp mentioned of like, hey, 
these third quarters, I don't think it's a narrative at this point. I think like there is, uh, it is a factor. They have been still, even with those third quarter issues, winning games. How will that factor when you get into the playoffs where those small margins, they become big margins once you get to the fourth quarter? I think it's really interesting when you look at this point of the calendar. It's the toughest time for these championship contending teams on paper to stick to all their mantras and all their cliches and everything. Because if you've looked at the Celtics team last season, they went almost exactly the same record in January that they had this season. So last year's team in January and 10 and five, this one's 11 and five. And there were some real stinkers. I mean, we didn't really talk about the Clippers loss. That's a heinous loss for your franchise. Um, And so to me, it's interesting to look forward and say, okay, how do you keep what happened last year from happening this year? Because if you look back at the reporting that came out, um, I believe a lot of it was Jared Weiss from The Athletic talking about how things came apart with Grant Williams minutes. And of course, he's not here anymore. And uh, I think Jalen Brown wanting to focus the team much more so on defense when it was such an offensively powered team last year, a lot of that stuff tends to rear its head around the all-star break. And while I know some, the NBA at large has its eyes on the trade deadline, I look at it and I think it's a great opportunity to talk about who Joe Missoula is showing himself to be in games, aside from the press conferences, which are a totally different animal, but who he seems to be connecting with this this team with Christoph Sporzingis and Drew Holiday now added in who he seems to be at this point this year compared to last year when they're they're very similar in terms of their records and where they seem to be on, on pace for getting back to the finals. I, I'll just toss it to you guys first. Wait, what do you think of Missoula this year compared to last year? It's a broad question. Yeah, I think just having the when we we sort of been talking about this, having a full off season to get ready rather than like four days and you're now the head coach uh, has changed a lot. The, I think the chemistry is with, with the team, with people knowing how he operates has, has, has made this probably a, a better team. Not in, obviously when you bring in Porzingis and Drew Holiday, that's going to change what you're able to do. So I I would say it's it's better. I mean the the timeout stuff. I know that's been uh, a criticism. It seems that he's he's gotten better, just like the end game strategy part. But the hardest part for being a head coach, uh, something I've said before, is just getting people to what you're trying to sell. And I think this team has bought into what Missoula is trying to do. I don't know. It's like what 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 is what have you seen? Yeah, I completely agree that they've bought into what he's selling, and that's impressive in on his part because when you have a team that's this talented it's easy for them to tune out the coach like we've seen it before where these talented teams don't really want to they think they're too good they don't really want to listen to the coach and i don't say maybe that's what happened with milwaukee and adrian griffin where that's not happening with the celtics and you know you look at that situation you got to feel pretty good about joe and i just think like when you have a whole offseason to prepare and then you get to build your own staff and you bring in charles lee you bring in sam cassell that makes all the difference and he's just been so much more comfortable from day one and i think like when you go from a back of the bench assistant to head coach, there's a lot of different responsibilities that go with that. And you kind of talk to the media and that's one thing, but like, you know, you kind of lose touch with some of those bench players and that's what he said. But like, he's really made it a, 
a point to be connected with the whole roster. And I think that's gone a long way and they're really buying into what he said. So I give Joe an A for this year. I don't think there's really anything he could have done much better. It's he deserves a lot of credit for dealing with all these personalities and granted they're not like you know like brooklyn with Kyrie and kd they're not like that but like with all this talent the way he's handled it and gotten them to buy into his message is really impressive yeah look the the personnel is a is a double-edged sword because on the one hand you have the most talented starting five in the league and so it's like okay could, could this team be on autopilot for the record i don't think that they could but you could people will make that argument on the other side, you have guys now who are, there's one ball, you know, and you have to share it and you have to, at the same time, you have a super max player in Jalen Brown. You have Jason Tatum, who is usually in the MVP conversation and going to be getting his super max deal too. So balancing out the personnel and being able to keep everybody focused on the same thing and the same ultimate goals and the same identity is a huge task in itself. But even when it comes to the basketball, I think that Missoula has some really different concepts than he was showing last year. You know, he last year at this time, he was talking about empowering the playmakers and having this free flowing offense that really didn't seem to have a lot of organization. Um, I would encourage people who want to, read up on this in a deeper level to read Jay King in the athletic. He just had a nice piece talking about Joe Missoula's organization on the offensive side of the ball. And he's almost been kind of forced into that because he has two more playmakers injected into the system. And so it's like, okay, how are we going to take advantage of the different looks that that defense is giving us in terms of the different strengths that we have now with our, with who we have in the lineup. And then on top of that, I think it's very smart that he has tried to elevate and incorporate the defensive side of this team back in. Yeah. And he talked about it a little bit at times last year, but I think it was a real split in terms of who this team thought that they were coming off of the Ime Odoka season and then who they were becoming with their stats driven three point high powered offense And for them to incorporate a little bit of this zone defense that they've been showing now this season, um, going into as a wild card that they show, having Derek White elevated as such a great defender, obviously adding Drew Holiday when you're subtracting Marcus Smart. Um, I think for all those reasons, aside from wacky stuff he might say at the podium or back and forth he might get into with Gary Washburn or Dan Shaughnessy (laughs) or anybody else, I really think he's showing himself to to have a ton of growth this season. And to be honest, like if you had asked me back in November and October if I thought that there he would be this different in terms of his coaching philosophies, I wouldn't have expected it. Yeah, I know this is an end of the year sort of thing, um, and it's it's only January. But looking at across the league, do you think he's on? a potential shortlist for coach of the year, given how he's performed, how the Celtics uh, have, have performed. 
Justin, do you want to take that one first? I just talked yeah, I, for like three minutes. <laughs> I do think he's on that list. I think he was he was a candidate last year, so I think he's definitely on that list again this year. Um, but I think it more co- looks back at Brad Stevens, right, as executive of the year. I think is more likely, especially with given what teams around the league have done, like the Thunder and even the Knicks, kind of turning it around now. So I think yeah. he'll be on that list. But I think Brad Stevens will get more of the credit. But Joe deserves a ton of credit, like we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think. You know, looking, thinking about like what Chris Finch has done with Minnesota, that that's that's a guy who who may be uh, deserving of that. Uh, same thing, similar situation. OKC, but yeah. I mean, it, you know, the, I guess the Coach of the Year award is is weird because it's not like you just give it based on record alone. You know, Mike Brown won last year, and obviously the Kings weren't uh, the best team in the league, but just that sort of turnaround. This is a it, it's it's. I guess with Missoula, it's like, how can you not succeed with the roster you've, you've been given? But I think about everything we just said of just the adjustments that he has made, uh, this whole, uh, you know, being able to to play different people in different positions. The the way he's used Drew Holiday is, is especially on defense, I think is is really fascinating. So, yeah, I, I could see that him being um, at near that top of that list, if not if not ending up as as the finalist. Yeah, I think he should be in the conversation. He, I think like a lot of other, uh, whether it's players or anyone else involved in the organization, may be a a victim of how good their roster is. Same reason why I think Jason Tatum is, has been, I haven't checked the Kia ladder. Is there a new one out today? Uh, But he's, you know, for the last two, he's been sixth in the MVP voting. Um, It. I, I don't think that takes away at all or invalidates what I think has been a huge jump in his sophomore year of coaching. Um, and I guess I just feel like after how much crap I've talked about him on the radio, like I just, <laughs> I need to, I need like a mea culpa or something, but who knows, maybe February and March will be a hot mess and we'll get another, maybe we'll have Derek White at the free throw line saying, I'm going to make them both. <laughs> and we'll have some, horror, <laughs> you yeah. know, like that again, where we'll all hang our heads. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, you know, awards like that, those are great, but the, the real sort of coaching gauntlet is when, when you get into the postseason, And then when you have these seven game series, when all of those, those tiny decisions, those tiny edges, when you use timeouts, et cetera, can win or lose games against the most talented teams in the league. So I think, you know, that's that's going to be sort of the real test to see how much has he learned um, from last year's playoff run and how can he apply that to what this team is now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, well, unless you have anything else to add, Terp, let's move on to Take Flight. And uh, in a beautiful timing here. I've just been logged out of my documents. So thank you for the security that Odyssey puts on all of our tech stuff. Uh, of course, our first our first taste here for Take Flight is Marcus Smart returning to TD Garden for the first time now with the Memphis Grizzlies on Sunday. Um, where to begin? 
I guess the, 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 the first thing that comes to mind for me is Jumbotron. Is there a video? Is he honored? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Is that the right move? Because there's a lot of people who would be like, oh my God, why do we do this for anyone who's like ever been in an Eastern Conference final with the uh, Celtics? I mean, he, I would say he's a little bit different, right? Because or a lot different. He he was legitimately a face of the face of the organization for at least a little while, uh, pre Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Um, you know, somebody who I, it's always sort of surprising when you when you go and think and look. If you just look at his accomplishments on paper, right? He was never an All Star. He was never the team's leading scorer, but. The Celtics fans, I mean, they they lived and died by by what he did. Um, he, he he's there's not many players who sort of fill the role that he does and play the way he does anymore in the league. So yeah, he uh, I think I think he deserves it. What, what do you think, Terp? Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. Isaiah Thomas got one, and and Marcus Smart was, and I love Isaiah Thomas, one of my favorite Celtics of all time, but. Marcus Smart was 10 times the Celtic that Isaiah Thomas was. The only thing I think about is, do they wait until he's actually playing? So do they hold off till next year? Because he'll be in the building, but he's not going to be playing. So do they hold off on the video? I don't think so, but that's the only way I can think of them not doing one. But there was people that were asking for his number to be retired. So there's no (laughs) way this guy does not get a a tribute video. And he deserves it. Five Eastern Conference Finals trips, uh, a trip to the NBA Finals. He's all over the Celtics history books. Like This guy totally deserves one, and he'll 100% get one. It's just a matter of if they'll wait. Don't forget DPOY uh, as a guard as well. That's right. right. What Uh, a time. Terp, I'm glad. Market, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the retirement thing because I did want to bring this. I guess this is the hot take. This is the take of the take flight. Does number 36 deserve to be hung over TD Garden? And as a realistic question, uh, what if 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 that was posed to y'all, what what would your answer be? No, no. I'm and I and I trust me. I love Marcus Smart. I loved him when he was here. I think part of the reason that it can't be retired is because the direct return on the trade is proving so valuable. Like, yeah, I actually think that it it really hurts two things. Hurt the Marcus Smart legacy in real time. And I don't want to take away from what I thought was just such a great career for the Celtics and a fan favorite and one of my favorites and somebody I think is a great person. Like, I, I could talk all day about Marcus Smart. But I think it it's tough now when you see in his absence who Derek White has shown himself to be just absolute with an absolute consistency on both ends of the floor. And that Porzingis appears to be, you know, somebody who I think is going to be a key to their playoff run. Like, I, I think that that's that's what we were expecting. But what he's able to do for this team and what he's able to change when he's on the floor and the level that he's been able to play at while he's been here. I think it, it, it kind of, because it's a one-to-one trade, like the return is too strong. It's almost like it would be better if you could, if you could look at Marcus smart as like, Oh, the one who got away, but it certainly doesn't feel that way right now. Does it? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, uh, and no championships. I mean, yeah, I guess, I'll pose it to you. If they had won in 2022, would that change a retirement conversation for Marcus Smart? Honestly, if I if they had won in 2022, there's a chance he's still here. 
but unfortunately that's, that's not the case right and i love marcus smart but i just don't think he did enough uh to get his jersey retired like that's an exclusive group and if you look in that rafters yeah. like the one thing they those guys have in common are championships and that's something marcus smart does not have so i just can't see like unfortunately i just don't think he did enough and um like, like you said, I think the direct return on the trade is a good point, but like, I, he just didn't do enough. I think what it comes down to, if he had won a championship in 2022, like I said, he'd probably still be here and the conversation would be a little bit different, but without a championship, it's really hard to get your, get your number up there. Yeah. Who? I looked it up. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I, I did look it up. There's only two Celtics whose numbers are retired, who never won. That was Ed McCauley, who played with the team from 1915 to 1956 and uh, Reggie Lewis, RIP the legend, truly. Aww. So wait, who do you think would get their number, more likely to get their number retired? Marcus Smart or Ray Allen? Oh. Because uh, Ray Allen uh, has the championship, but he doesn't he does really have, have, he doesn't have the accolades in the playoff run. Yeah. Uh, and his departure was so ugly. His departure was weird. I mean, Ray Allen is a Hall of Famer, but smart. I I would lean towards smart only because of just like his just sort of what he meant to the franchise as a whole. Um, yeah. yeah, and and the and the Ray Allen thing is weird. Like, are are him and KG talking yet again? Has that happened? Do yeah. we do we know? So, so they KG are. was asking for his number to be retired. Yeah, was like, Ray's next. Right. Damn it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Ray um, Allen. Ray Allen talked for like. First of all, I, Ray will talk for like 30 minutes at a time. Um, but he talked after the KG retirement ceremony, number retirement ceremony. And, it, you know, it sounds like a lot of that is water under the bridge, at least publicly, like publicly facing they're good again. So I think I think it, that wouldn't be a roadblock at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes sense. I would still, I would still lean towards smart. I mean, I know, I know, like you know, two finals appearances, um, but still, I, I, I that that's that's a tough question. I, I don't, and I don't think it's an either or uh, situation. But at the same time, I don't. If if we're being realistic, I don't think smart would his 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 number would go up in the rafters given everything that that we just said. I also don't All think right. five seasons oh. from Ray is enough. Only yeah. five seasons here in Boston. I just don't think that's enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on to our next take in our take flight. The New York Knicks. Is there a dark horse in New York? So the Knicks right now are on an insane tear. If you haven't been paying attention, I don't really blame you. Um, ever since the OG trade, they're on an eight-game win streak. They might have one of the – I mean, I know they have one of the best defenses in the league. It might be. The top defense is the top defense right now. We just talked about the Celtics finishing 11 and five in January. Knicks are 14 and two. Do we need to take this New York team seriously? And do you see them as a real uh, Eastern Conference finals contender or somebody who simply may just upset one of the stronger teams early, early in the tournament? I would say they're a contender, uh, truly. Um, you know, I, I was I was sort of caught off, off guard too when looking through the standings, uh, getting ready for the show last night. But yeah, fourteen and two in January. Uh, they have wins in the past month that 
against the Nuggets, the Wolves, Sixers, big, you know, some of the, the top teams in the league right now. It's the most victories in a single month since the 1993-1994 season uh, for the Knicks. Look, I, I think given everything that, like, the Bucks are going through, they just lost last night to the Blazers. And, you know, one game isn't necessarily indicative of a whole season, but the Blazers are not a good team at, at this moment. And uh, I know it was, like, probably an emotional return for Damian Lillard, et cetera, but... I could see them leapfrogging Milwaukee given the coaching issues, the, the that change. Uh look, the the OG trade I think has has worked phenomenally. I think I think they're a legit team that they can um I don't know if win the conference, but I could see a Celtics Knicks Eastern Conference Finals. I just wanted to run through a few of these stats because the New York Post uh had this really good little collection if you want to hear about this defense. So during their run in January, these are some of their rankings. Uh, their defensive rating is 104.4. Um, so they have a better defensive ranking than the Cavs, the T-Wolves, uh, Grizzlies, Celtics, and Nets. They have the lowest amount of points allowed. They have the lowest percentage of field goals allowed. And they have the second to lowest three-pointers allowed only behind the Celtics. So they've figured something out, injecting OG into that, and he's missed the last two games, I believe. But there, I think that there's something real there with what they're building in New York. Yeah, that OG trade looks like a slam dunk right now. The, at least the early returns, they're twelve and two with OG. Like that's that's impressive. And you look at it like they're only a game behind the Bucks for the two seed in the Eastern Conference, and the Bucks are kind of free falling a little bit. So uh, I could definitely see this team being a two seed and like the. They knew what they were getting with OG. Like OG is one of the best defenders in the league. They knew they were he was going to boost their defense, but how much they were going to boost it is pretty incredible right now. And you know Tibbs is known for his defense, so they've done a great job. And that team is one to look out for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Julius uh, first OG OG has been hurt, so you know that, how that uh, situation plays out, and Julius Randall's injury as well. That's those going to be big, I guess. Uh, is it, it does it feel weird that the Knicks are have been sort of overlooked given they are in New York? Uh, you know, it, again, they they got they caught me by surprise, I think they caught a lot of people by surprise. Is it because of the history that, that they have that people may have been have been sleeping on them? I don't I don't really know. I think it's more it goes in line with the expectations at the preseason going into the season. These were not the expectations of who this team was going to be. And obviously you have a blockbuster trade partway through the season. But I I feel like that trade got lumped in with, you know, the Pacers trade and the recent Miami trade where it's these teams who are more on the margins of uh, Eastern Conference contention and the Knicks feel like they're separating themselves from that group now. Like I, I would say certainly. Yeah. Um, I I think it's just still kind of early in the season. And what they've been doing is really been since that trade. So we're only a month into it. I, I think it's getting the proper due now where everyone's sitting up and being like, oh my God, like, is, is this real? Is this sustainable? Um, do we need to look out for this team? I should have looked this up before, but does anybody know next time Celtics see the Knicks? It's next month. It's the 24th, I believe. Okay. It's a Saturday night. In March? Uh, oh, sorry. This month. I didn't really, really yeah, didn't we're realize. Yeah, we're in February, my guy. Yeah, yeah. Happy happy February, yeah. We survived Something January. 24th. <laughs> the longest January in, in, in on in record. Yeah, yeah. So 
that's suddenly uh i mean those are always big games but that game means a whole lot no a whole lot more now for i think both teams um i guess i guess stemming off of this i know we're, we're getting the full all-star roster later tonight uh recording here on thursday uh this has been sort of a, a point of contention that I've seen among Nick's Twitter. Did Jalen Brunson deserve to have Damian Lillard's spot uh, as, as an all-star starter? Without the stats in front of me, I'd say, yeah, I, I think Damian Lillard is stealing a couple guys spots there. If it's Jalen Brunson, if it's Donovan Mitchell, there's just a few other younger players that I think I wouldn't say like don't have the name recognition because they're certainly stars in the league, but I think just haven't had the moments uh, in postseasons so far that Damian Lillard has had with Dame time and everything else. So part of that is the just the game of how all-star voting works for the first ballot. And so like for the first team, I should say. So that part of it is just the fan influence. But yeah. I mean, I think if you've been following what's been happening with the Bucks and who Dame has been this season, I think that they're, he's one of a handful of guys who would be more worthy at that spot. Yeah, um, I, I had originally put uh, Dame as as the starter and then seeing how, how it's played out, I was like, oh, maybe it's possible. I, I, I was wrong. Uh, I will say this is something I didn't realize. This is his first time being an all-star starter. Uh and that makes sense when you consider that he's been playing in the same conference as Steph Curry for most of his right. career. I mean, uh, Terp, did you think that the that, that should have been a switch? That surprises oh, yeah, me though. Yeah. One hundred percent. I was surprised too that he had never started an all-star game, even like with playing with Curry, because there was a couple of times Curry was hurt for a little while there and Dame surprising wasn't a starter, but yeah, I thought a hundred percent that Brunson should have been a starter over Dame. I just think like Megan said, like they both have the name recognition, but like Everyone's been talking about the Bucks, right? The Bucks, the Sixers, and the Celtics, I feel like, are the teams, the Easter Conference, that everyone's really watching. No one's really paying attention to the Knicks, and then the Knicks are sneaking up. And granted, they really just got hot this month. Like, they were kind of hovering right in the middle of the conference, around like five, right. six. So now they're starting to, you know, figure it out. But they, he 100% got snubbed. Brunson should have been a starter over Dame 100%. Right, right. And, and you know, again, like, folks have been talking about the issues defensively that the Bucks have had. After the Drew Holiday trade, Brunson probably a, a bit of a, a better defender on, on that side of the ball than than Dame is giving, uh, given his his sort of size and, and height. So uh, it's, a, it's a low bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair, fair. Uh, so um, yeah, but you know what? Shout out, shout out, Dame. It's it, it's crazy that he he had never been. Yeah, uh, look, don't get me starter. wrong. Like I love Dame. I'm surprised yeah. he hasn't. He's never been a starter. I just think. If you're basing it on this season and that's what the award is based on, it, it doesn't totally make sense to me, but there's the fan part of it. Um, our final take for Take Flight. This is a this is a big picture take. And Esteban, I'd love for you to walk us through this because we've had these moments recently of great individual scoring yeah. performances. And obviously, even if you just look at that Pacers game, the Celtics have 81 points in the first half. I think it's something that anybody who's watching the NBA right now, the league is going, these offenses are getting kind of crazy. And where is it coming from? And is this the direction that we want basketball to keep going in so much offense, especially when you have a team like the Knicks, who we were just talking about turning into a great defensive team there. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I 
I think this stemmed from you looking at the the performances that, that Luka Doncic, uh, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns recently all had uh, 60, 70 point games uh, plus. Uh, looking up, Dan Devine of Yahoo wrote, there's only been 19 seasons that featured 10 or more 50-point scoring performances. The last nine from 2015, the 2015-16 season to now, that's nearly half of that list, and only 10 campaigns have featured 14 or more. And the last five from 2018-19 to now comprise half of that list. So people are scoring these huge 50-point games more, much more frequently than before. And obviously... The league has gotten more welcoming, more open to the scoring. The rules, rule changes have made it harder for people to guard the way they used to, especially on, on the perimeter. Players are just uh, probably specifically big men are a little more skilled in terms of outside shooting. So I think it makes sense that we're seeing more scoring. I don't necessarily think that's that's a bad thing per se. Um I mean, we nope. As much as 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 much as the league has has welcomed and embraced scoring, nobody's matched the eighty-one. Not to even mention the one hundred that happened under much different, more physical, quote unquote, times uh, that the NBA used to have. So I don't I don't necessarily see it as a problem unless people think that it's going to water down these accomplishments. So I don't know about watering down the accomplishments. It's certainly more in the direction, I think, of how the league wants the game to look. Like you want a high-scoring game and you uh, want to be able to point to individual stars in that way. The only thing is nobody wants it to turn into the all-star game, right? Like nobody wants the elimination of defense. And you hear mostly old heads, but I would throw myself in here at times too. Uh, You want it to be a physical game. You don't want it to just be the finesse game and you don't want it to just be outside shooting and, you know, on the perimeter all the time. The worst, you know, is when it's a fast break and it just goes into a corner three every single fast break. You know, you I think the important thing is you want it to be of have variation in the game. And so I'm not sure that there is something that the that the league can roll back in terms of what they've done to elevate the offense and kind of tamper down the physicality of it. But I, I I think we all get excited when we're watching a very physical game. And I I guess I, it's my way of saying there's not a solution to it, but I wouldn't say it's, it's absolutely like a great thing for the league for there to be such inflated, uh, points out there. Yeah, I, I guess it, it's sort of a balance because you you don't necessarily want, as you mentioned, sort of an inflation of scoring. On the other end, you don't want like the '80s, '90s brand of basketball where people were just elbowing each other in the face on defense, and that was and that was fine. And you'd have like, but like sometimes, sometimes I do. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying? Like just sometimes. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> you know I mean, I I don't need bad boy pistons but it's like can we have a little bit of physicality yeah i mean so what what do you do you see this as an issue for for basketball as a whole or or is this sort of being conflated out of proportion honestly i feel like this is kind of what they want this is kind of what the league wants mm-hmm. is they want more points so in a way it's kind of what they're looking for but i don't love it as a basketball fan like and i know you guys seem to be on the same page it's like i like the physicality like i like the defense like 
all these points isn't necessarily fun. Like I want to see some defense as well, but I think that's the direction the NBA is going in is they want to see more points. They think points are what brings people in. They want to see the three point shot. They want to see all these dunks and stuff. No one really cares about the physicality anymore, unfortunately, but I think that's what the league wants. And personally, I'm not a fan, but I mean, it's still basketball. So I'm still going to watch. I've seen a couple of different proposals to address this some of which I, I'm not necessarily sure how they would work I, or if I agree with them. One, moving back the three-point line uh, along those lines, getting rid of the corner three spots, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, do, do y'all agree with any of those at all or, or think that there's dimension-wise of the court any way that, that you would address um, the scoring to try to to sort of, I guess, uh, dampen dampen that down a bit? The corner three fit conversation has definitely gotten some traction in the last couple of years. I don't like, I don't know that that's the answer that that all feels just as analytics based as the way that the league has turned in terms of three point shooting. I think some of it has to do with a lot of the role changes favoring offensive players. And, you know, I, every year it feels like there's something that is, tougher to call on defense. And so I, I don't know. I like, like Terp said, like, I think that this is how the league wants it. So I, I wouldn't see one of those big changes coming. I hate the corner three one too. I just think like the corner three is such a valued shot in the game. And if you look at it, they're really not generated that much. Like there's some games that like teams will really get out to the corner, but it's such an important shot in the game. Like, and they're really not generated that much. Like I said, so I think that would be a horrible mistake. Cause I think teams oftentimes will play to try to get to the corner three. Cause that's the most efficient shot. So I would hate if they got rid of that. And it's also my favorite spot to shoot. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the best spot to shoot. One, one idea I have sort of thought about in the past, and this is sort of, it was sort of like to, to bring big men, at least playing down in the post a little bit back more into the picture, but something that could also be done to maybe balance out is, you know, the, the lane was expanded to keep big men from just posting up there and, and scoring Gotti numbers down. I wonder if, if you shrunk it back to sort of not necessarily its original, uh, width, but, uh, a, a, a smaller lane so that way big men could stay near the rim more if that would at least sort of balance out some of the the scoring because then that way it would be harder for uh, for ball handlers to get to the lane to drive uh when you have someone like uh you know Embiid etc who, who could just hang out there by the rim uh without getting that defensive three seconds it, it would y'all think that would be something that the league w- could look at yeah, I think that would come down to, again, though, that's just that's like a, a taste thing. Like, what kind of offense do you want? And even if it's OK, you can have a, a big man who can score down on the post who has good post action. Um, that's still going to be analytically less valuable than the corner three. <laughs> so it's like it'll be some variation in different points of attack. But I don't and again, it's all to me. It's like it's still offensively based thinking. And I, I, I just don't really have a solution for what they're doing other than, you know, we roll it all the way back and we bring hand checking back into the game or like something absolutely crazy. 
And you see offenses <laughs> going five out anyway. So it's not really going to matter if they're all out by the perimeter anyway, you know? So it's, it's, it's true. It's such an interesting conversation though. Uh, I didn't even think about the dimensions thing, to be honest. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What, one of like my favorite sort of like, what if scenarios is like, what if you could like sort of in baseball, how you could design your, that those field dimensions by yeah. ballpark. Like, what would that look like if you could, like, if, if the Celtics could design their own court dimensions, like, where would they put the three or, you know, what, like, I don't, I like it. If, if, you, if you had like Dame Lillard, would you just stretch the three out another like five feet so only he could shoot it? Uh, stuff like that. But anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, again, I, I understand where people are, are sort of coming from. I don't necessarily think though, all of these accomplishments, all of these, these big games are diluting uh the achievements of of scores per se no. uh, um i think it's i mean we're, we're still amazed over it uh i don't i also don't necessarily know if anybody's ever going to get to 100 again just given how the game is played like it, when wilt did it it was much different he was just you know he could just bulldoze through defenses so uh i i like it i like uh where where offenses are headed but i, I do also agree like it, it, it would be nice to, to get better defense and that being a little bit more welcomed in the league as a whole. All right. Well, let's end it there. Uh, we're recording on a Thursday. So Celtics are seeing the Lakers tonight, but honestly with uh, what it looks like the Lakers are rolling out in terms of their lineup. I don't think that's going to be the most consequential game. Who knows? Maybe it will be a barn burner and I'm totally wrong. Uh, but like I said, we have Marcus smarts return this weekend and rolling into February. We will catch you guys next week. Thanks for hanging out with us.